Welcome to Believe, a joy yoga podcast, where I'll be interviewing people about how they've overcome limiting beliefs to become their authentic selves and achieve amazing things. I'm so excited to have you with me. Now, on to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, So today I am super excited to have my friend Megan Amour on the podcast. Uh, So Megan is a working wife, mom, and coach looking to better herself every day. She spent 25 years running and competing, falling down and out from major injury, and working to rebuild and redefine herself as an athlete and competitor, all the while loving her babes and helping others be successful in their fitness journey. So Megan, welcome to the podcast. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. Happy to be here with you. Yeah. Um, so I always love kind of after reading the, you know, bio nutshell, um, quick encapsulation of what is Megan, um, to just kind of kick it over to you and just, um, ask about your story. How did you get to where you are today? Kind of in your own words. Oh yeah. When I read that question, I was like, oh my gosh. I mean, it's so loaded. I don't even. Oh, totally. It's one of those questions where you can go on and on and on and on, or you can create the Reader's Digest version here. Um, And I guess what I wrote down is it was, what a cliche, right? Full of twists and turns and the good and the bad. Um, But I guess, you know, through a lot of trial and error um, and successes and learned a lot of lessons and I'm still learning, uh, I think... Being open to and accepting and admitting mistakes, uh, but also cherishing them at the same time has allowed me to learn and grow, uh, I guess, more into the person I am today because Lord only knows it's not the same person I was, you know, five, ten years ago. Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> I said, learning and growing, I said, I know that sounds like a poster, I, but if you can't cherish them, then then how are you supposed to grow from them? Um, so it's just uh, taking the time and admitting what I've done great and what I've done wrong and growing from what I've done wrong and changing and uh, thriving in my success and, and translating that uh, into outward, I guess, has turned me into gotten me to a place where I'm more confident uh, more outgoing and more excited, I guess, about what's to come and much more grounded in how to get there. If that makes sense. It's more of the, the emotional, moral perspective, I guess. Uh, so the, the, the big thing is really, God, I think when I was really just trying to figure out where I was going at one point, um, journaling, I started journaling out once I started brain dumping because sometimes you don't even know you're thinking about something until you're writing it and you're just like, oh, whoa, I wasn't even aware that that was going on in my head. That's when I started learning how to cherish and or accept and deal with maybe what I've done wrong, maybe the steps I need to take to achieve a goal, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess growing up to sum it all up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, how did you, so just for, you know, getting into kind of your running coaching aspect of life, um, I know running was kind of just with you early on, but um, could you share a little bit about uh, maybe how that started and then how it's evolved over time? Oh, sure. Yeah, that go in and that, that goes along with um, everything I was saying there before. I started out uh, just in high school, uh, running and, and, and doing well, um, excelling there. 
and then building off of that and going and running college. Um, and then post-collegiately, I had successes in college as well, um, yeah, in, in CAA and, and my conference. Um, but I don't think I ever knew why I was doing it or why I loved it. Did I love it just because I was good at it? Or did I really just love the run? Um, and I think for a long time, I loved it and did it because I was good at it. And same thing with after college, um, just dove right into it and stayed uh, full steam ahead. Um, and then just like anything, too much of a good thing, I guess, right? Uh, after several successes with with post-collegiate running in the marathon, um, and then only being about the marathon, all tunnel vision, getting hurt. And then uh, this was part of my learning mistakes, et cetera, uh, admitting what I had been doing right before I got hurt and becoming addicted to it and um, going into that place where it wasn't successful anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I guess where I am now is looking to try to see where running fits back into my fitness life while I'm, I'm coaching other people from all of my experience. Uh, I'm really, I'm really not good at talking about myself when it comes to running. So (laughs) you're going to have to forgive me. (laughs) Um, when I say successes, I don't usually elaborate on them, but I guess it could say, uh, in the in the smaller percentage of people for successes from a competitor standpoint if you will yeah um, well I mean you know because you you made Olympic trials at one point is that right yes yeah. yes so 2004 which seems like a million years ago at this point yeah so I ran my first marathon and qualified for the trials um during the during the first marathon and um the uh the trials of four and then, um, okay, after that, it was a whole lot of trying again um, after the tra- the trails themselves weren't that great because it was only my second marathon. A lot of inexperience uh, resulted in a not-so-awesome race. Still did well enough. but um, And then trying again for 2008, uh, right after I had my first daughter, um, and that didn't happen. And then like trying again for 2012 and I just missed it again. Um, and then was unable to even consider 2016 just because of life getting in the way, separation from my first husband, um, than him being out of the country, full-time single mom, not in a what was me kind of perspective, just a just a, a time timing perspective. I didn't yeah. have those weekends to myself or I didn't have that partner so I could get up early in the morning and go do a workout, et cetera. And then that's when um, the running I could do became obsessive and addictive. And that's when I got, uh, first it started out with a stress fracture in the neck of my femur, um, ended up with like a 60% stress fracture and then found out that the nagging pain on and off for years in my right ankle was my posterior tendon slowly, you know, coming apart only to then split in half, uh, and have to have my foot rebuilt. And so that's why I couldn't have even considered 2016, and um, then 
met my current husband and after recovering from that surgery, I got pregnant. So then I was waiting in the wings after having, um, my super crazy little baby girl. Um, and then now I am gearing back up slowly, but surely, um, basically from scratch after, well, like four years now. Yeah. Um, my last race was 2014 Boston. Um, So do you feel like, you know, as you've gone through this journey that you've kind of had to redefine yourself as you go? Like, did, did you find that you just saw yourself as a runner and then when you couldn't run, was that really difficult for you? Yes. So that's it, it, really, it just, um, it's all that defined me. Yeah. That was it. So at the same time that I found out I was pregnant, I started a new job. I was no longer working at the running store anymore where I had worked and coached for 12 years. And so I literally, the weekend before I started a new job, I found out I was pregnant. And, um, so, and I was no longer working in the running store. I really wasn't running a lot. And I was in, I went back into the office world, um, surrounded by non-running people, a lot of non-running people. Um, so, I didn't have anybody to relate to. Mm -hmm. And then I started feeling like, well, geez, not only am I not running, but I'm not in the running store. I'm not coaching right now. So I felt completely disconnected all at once from anything that defined me for literally, I don't know, 30 years, 25 years, I guess. Um, It was, I lived and breathed it and it was all about me and my running. Um, so, yeah, I had a real identity crisis at that point and combine that with pregnancy hormones. Sure. <laughs> um, it, it was like a disaster. Um, but it, it, and I and I don't want to use the word disaster because, of course, it really wasn't a disaster. It wasn't the end of the world, but it just made things very difficult because also two months prior than that, my oldest daughter moved to the West Coast to live with her father excuse me, she's back now, but at the time she moved, this is, yeah, fall 2016, summer 2016. She moves back to the West Coast to live with her father and his family. So I, she moves away. So I don't even have my daughter in my hands to, you know, distract me or define me as a mom for that matter. I am not working in the running store. I'm not running. And I have no idea what's going to happen next. Right. Um, so I had to take a lot of time. Thank you for asking that question because that really help me from babbling there. Um, <laughs> the, the, uh, it forced me to try to figure out who I was without running. Um, and that's an ongoing process really yeah. kind of for anybody, but could I say I have mastered who I am now without running? No, I can't say that, but, um, I can say I'm more open or have become more open to trying new things and or taking the time to be okay with not being Megan the runner because most of the people I know and interact with on a daily basis don't know me as Megan the runner and I have a new last name. So it's an opportunity for me to reinvent myself and enter the running world in a different way. Yeah. I love uh, that. And, 
and as a completely different person, so to speak, because <clears throat> no one, not very many people, unless I'm connected with them on social media, know my, my new last name, know my change, et cetera, et cetera, or that I haven't been running for four years and that I'm secretly trying to make some kind of comeback. So it's, uh, it, and I guess you can't ever really 100% be totally set with who you are and where you are, because there's always something new. There's always a new goal. There's always something that's going to come into your lap and make you be like, oh, oh, wait a second. That's not exactly how I thought that was going to go. So plot twist, right? So right. then you have to try to try to move on and, fi- and figure that out from there. Um, all the while keeping your root person, I suppose. Yeah. There's always a little runner hiding inside of me, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, I know you talked a little bit about journaling when we started, um, were there things that really kind of helped you to navigate through that process? That journaling? Yeah. Or just yeah. like whatever. Yeah. Oh no, that was 100%. That, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, I'm an advocate of that. Anytime I get the opportunity to recommend that to somebody for, for whatever's going on in their life, I just like vomit it all over them Um, because I mean, because it's just so, and I know it's not for everybody, but I I have to at least recommend it or tell somebody about it because I don't even know how many I filled up in that time. And it's, um, it really forces you to deal with something because if you keep it locked up in your head, it's, it's not tangible for lack of a better term. If you write it down on a piece of paper, it's, it's like real. You have to take time to process it, understand it, and then potentially do something about it, whatever that, that might have been that you wrote down. Yeah, and I forces think it, you to deal with it. Like it pierces some of the mystery bubble too, right? A lot of times we just yes. turn in our heads and think something is giant. And sometimes when you write it down, it becomes small and manageable too precisely or you can build off of it right you can you can you can take or even take something that's big and break it down um but yeah you're absolutely right that that's a good way to put the mystery um and and piercing a bubble there that's that's a good way to put it I don't get to journal as much now just because my life is insane but (laughs) uh but I do keep them in my bag my purse or whatever so that if I have a moment to just throw something down I do just because you can forget. You can forget that you had this thought or this feeling about something, or you just put it away if you don't like it, and you That's, bury it down. Yeah, and I mean, like it's it's. I think it's really helpful to plan too, because you know you can have your like mm. tiny like precise whatever notebook, or you can get a little like a note app or something, so that you can at least kind of process on the go. If you're right. you know a busy mom on the go, work with absolutely. What you've got. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I'm so old that I still have to use paper and pen. I love um, paper and pen too. I'm not going to lie. Oh, good. Oh, me too. I just, yeah. ugh, it's, I can't, I can't do the, the grocery list or the thoughts or whatever on my phone. It just doesn't work for me. So. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you. I got, no. um, I got hooked on the happy planner. I don't know if you've seen this, but, um, Yes. Yes, yes. I have. I'm like obsessed with it. <laughs> so for those yeah. who don't know, um, you can check it out. It's like, it's called literally the happy planner, but, um, but they make these like 12 and 18 month, like planning books or life books or journal books or whatever, but they come with like stickers and like dates and That's all kinds best. of like the budget one. I'm like obsessed with it's helping me actually get my budget on track. So, um, yeah, but it's, it's nice to have paper. I just, I love it. It, it. it well, and like I said, it makes it it makes it real. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know why not put it, putting it in my phone doesn't. And plus, 
something happens in my phone, I don't need somebody opening that up and be like, wow. I know. What's this? This chick does not need her phone back. In fact, we need to take this away from her. Um, or something, cause some of my, some of my journals need to be glued shut to right. never be read or burned. Burned. So, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but yeah, so that's, that's, that was my, I guess it was a drug almost the journaling actually. Yeah. So, I mean, we all need something and that's a healthy one. So I was going to say there's worse things that I could have turned into my, uh, my vice there, my drug, if you will. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, yeah. So, um, so I'm curious kind of just, you know, for those folks who are also, because I think we all kind of deal with life change at some point and like kind of your crisis of identity, like you lose a job or something changes or, you know, you were an athlete and you get injured. I mean, there's kind of that like big, okay, I have to deal with this now. And who am I if I'm not this? Mm -hmm. Um, do you have kind of like, I don't know if you were to encapsulate what your routine looks like at, I don't know, like 25 versus now. Um, what do you, what do you think is like the biggest difference Besides the the coffee, <laughs> uh, sure. Because I don't think I was actually drinking coffee at twenty five, but just all the coffee. Yeah, no. Um, the biggest difference is it's not so me focused. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was actually thinking about this one a little bit more before we were talking. Is it's it's because before I had children, it was all about me, my race, my workouts to get to that race, um, the food, everything. The only thing that mattered was me and my running. And, and, and hindsight's always twenty twenty. Of course, when I was living it then, I didn't think of it that way. But now I look back and I'm like, geez, what a selfish little bee. So um, it, now it's, I, re, I cherish and I respect uh, what workout I can get in, when I can get it in. And I'm mindful of the, the workout that I'm doing, <clears throat> excuse me, even if it's only a two mile run, which when I was 25 would never have counted. Mm, I wouldn't yeah. have even bothered if I couldn't get at least four miles in. And, um, if it wasn't done first thing in the morning, it wasn't happening. Now it's, if I could go do two miles right when I get home from work, like change it, change at work, park my car in front of the house and just go do my run. So there's no distractions. I'll do that. Um, if I have to get up at three fifty to go do a workout at the gym at 5am, I'll do it and I'll call it good. It's, yeah. it's not so me and run focused now. It's if I can get one in to help me feel good about myself. Awesome. If not, no big deal. Or if I have to skip a workout cause I'm up all night long with a baby who's not sleeping well. Um, but I guess the big thing is it's not just all about me now. Yeah. It's about how is this going to help me be a better me for my family? Do you find that you're, I think like just coming from injury um, and a lot of like kind of almost for your Olympic dreams and whatnot, do you, do you find that you're more mindful now than you were before about like taking care of yourself and, and maybe changing goals if you know, it's not quite right for you, that kind of thing? 100% without a doubt. And if anybody ever gets that kind of injury where you are down and out, like I was non-weight bearing for 12 weeks. I'm talking, you were down. You can't do it. Even if you wanted to go through the pain. Um, if you don't learn from that, and I hate to say this because this sounds, I guess, really kind of bitchy, but if it happens to you again, you deserve it. First time, shame on you. Second time, shame on me. That kind of thing. Yeah. Um, 
because this would be not respecting the injury. And what, so for me, the only way my stubbornness, my, my pigheadedness was going to listen to my body saying, what you're doing right now is not working. You're going to break, you're breaking. Hello, we're trying to tell you that right now. Maybe if you stop now, it wouldn't be so bad later, but oh no, idiot, you're going to keep going. That's fine. Don't worry. We'll get you later. So, um, and for me, I had to be knocked down that far to wake up and realize how I need to shift it yeah, uh, and, cha- and change it. So now I respect the recovery day. And it, I don't know an athlete alive. Well, there are several, I'm sure. But most your average people, they, they don't really respect the recovery until they get hurt. I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a professional, yes, they respect the recovery because it's their job. Right. And it, it's made part of their, their work, whether they want it to be or not. But for regular person who's just going, going really into it, they don't respect the recovery. So now I respect the days off. I'll take two days off. I'll take three days off. I got a strain in my calf like a week and a half ago. I just shut it down. I walked home. Well, I just couldn't run, but I walked home and I didn't run for another week. I didn't even test it for a week and a half just because I know what could maybe happen should I try to be arrogant and, and, and keep plowing forward. And this is one thing I tell people when I'm coaching them. It's, it's just, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. There's always another workout. There's always another race. There's always another run, or you can keep pushing and then you could be down for years. Yeah. I mean, and not, not counting my pregnancy, I would have been down probably two, two to three years just because of the, the fallout after the surgery and the recovery. I mean, you have atrophy, 12 weeks of non-weight bearing. That's my quad, my hip, everything. And everything's in balance. And my foot was rebuilt. So it was completely different foot strike now. And so just the fallout from that. So if I had listened, whatever years it started rearing its ugly head and done something, maybe it would have been six weeks of recovery. Instead, it's two years. Right. And so I always use that example when I'm, when I'm coaching people who, you know, get injured four weeks before the marathon. And I say, and it's an injury where they just really shouldn't start the race. It's something bad. And I say, you know what, you can start the race. And, and, you know, try to get your money's worth out of it. But when you're 13 miles in and you have to walk the rest of the way in pain, how is that successful? Right. It's not. You cross the finish line, but that's not a successful finish line cross. So you walked 13 miles. If you had to walk 13 miles after you've run 13, you, you, you could do it. There's no question about that. You've done the training. However, the goal is to get to the, depending on if it's someone's first race or whatever, the goal is to get to the starting line. And the goal is to finish in one piece. Right. You know, um, and so I say, you know, put this one away, chalk it up to a loss. So you lost 150 bucks. That's okay. I'm sure you've spent $150 on something else that you shouldn't have or you lost $150 somewhere else on the road. Find another race. There's so many races or another Wait six weeks. There's another marathon, and you haven't lost the fitness in six weeks. It doesn't just disappear. Right. Now, if you're down for years, it disappears. Right. And now, my muscle memory, of course, will come back faster than average person. But, but yeah. So, 
And I've, I've learned as a coach to be just as blunt as possible in this kind of situation only because I've lived it. Yeah. I would yeah. definitely not be like that if I had not lived it. So I'm glad you brought up coaching because um, one of the things as you were talking, I was thinking about was I feel like we, I mean, maybe it's just the DC area, but I think, I think I can safely say the U.S. as a whole, we kind of are in this glorification of, of busy, you know, it's, <laughs> we're lauded for being able to like run eight miles before, you know, putting on the perfect makeup and then, you know, like seamlessly like getting dinner and breakfast and lunch and going to work and and then taking care of our kids and then like never sleeping and I feel like that's kind of what we're sold as what we should be do you find you bump up against that when you're coaching so that it can be hard to tell folks that it's actually like okay to rest yeah you know I I think that that's a that's a really that's a good question um I I just I kind of ignore the other parts and I do always uh, let people know, I know you're busy. I know you've got this or that going on, but if you're going to go for this goal, whatever it is, someone may have set up. Um, if you can't find time to make the rest for your workouts and then make the rest for your life, then those things are going to become just that much more overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I, I guess I ask and thinking that like, you know, I think you and I both know what it is to be really passionate about something and push to burnout and, and kind of thinking about, you know, I, I think culturally we're, we're told that we should, yes. you know, that rest days are for the week and, you know, mm-hmm. like whatever, whatever that t-shirt is, it's like sweat is just fat crying or what do you know, all that yes. kind of stuff that we're told, <laughs> right. It's like, keep going, right. do more, always more. Um, and I know like if somebody had told me, like, I think I worked out for two years straight without taking a rest day. And if someone had told me to, I'd say that's cute. And then I keep going. So I'm just kind of curious if you, if you have to try and coach people through that or if, or if that's not really an issue. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. And no, I think it depends. Of course it's going to depend on the athlete. If I have a seasoned athlete, like the folks I coach at, um, at old glory, those folks know that they need to have a rest day. Good. Okay. Yeah. Because because they're coming from a different fitness place uh, instead of that person who's just decided out of out of nowhere or out of inspiration from a family member or a friend that they want to run a five k, ten k, or a marathon, and then they get into it and they're just in it. Those are the folks that I have a hard time telling them. Then that's really a hard time. I I guess I'm not I'm not sure the best way to describe it, but they will feel like if they take that rest day, they've lost, they lose something. Mm-hmm. They, they, or, or I feel a little tightness or I feel a little ache here and there. And it's because you're a new runner. Okay. Take a week off. Just try to nip it in the bud right now and take a week off. And that is like, I've asked them to jump off of cliff. With their baby. <laughs> you right. know, yep. I mean, it, it's, it's, they're like, but it's a week. It's a whole week. I won't be running. And I say, but you've been running for four months. You've, you've got what you need. Do you want to go to the start line or no? And if the answer is yes, then you need to take this week off. I promise you, I guarantee you, you will lose no fitness mm-hmm. at all. And you will end up crossing that finish line a much happier person. I mean, I've told people three or four weeks before the marathon, don't run another step between now and the marathon if you want to run that marathon. Because you have the, the hay is in the barn, so to speak. 
You have all the fitness you need. And as long as I have that element to, to get at them with, like you have this base, you have this fitness, you have, you know, all of this uh, muscle memory going right now. That really helps. Um, but you really have to be just painfully honest with people. Yeah. And maybe it's because society is kind of mercy. I don't know how to say that word correctly. doesn't show much mercy in regards to you should be going, going, going all the time, be the perfect mom, be able to get it before you am, be able to get your workout in, be able to get dressed, wash your hair every day, which doesn't happen, by the way. Right. And get to work and be a rock star at work as well. You know, people are super straight and upfront about that. So I think... Yeah, maybe it's just pe- the people in this area because we're so used to that, being smashed upside the head with what we should be doing. Um, when you tell them that you need that rest day because this, this, or that may happen, then it, I think it's helpful. I don't get yeah. a ton of pushback. Every now and again, I will get a little bit, um, but usually something will happen shortly after that and they'll... They'll kind of wise up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... In like, you know, current day Megan world, um, what would you say is the most important thing for maintaining your own health and wellness? Like, do you have any non-negotiables that, you know, even if your daughters are sick and, you know, you feel like crap or whatever, you'd still do, I don't know, X, Y, or Z to make yourself kind of feel good and sane? Um, yes, I, I think the, the allowing time for myself, and I know that's what everybody says, uh, but reminding myself, it doesn't need to be every day. You know, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be 24 seven. It's if I can get three days where I make sure I get a workout for myself or something to that effect. Um, <clears throat> but I think also, excuse me, being flexible with that, should something come up with the kids or should something come up with work, being flexible with, letting that workout go or letting that, you know, hour in the morning with my cup of coffee go every now and again, knowing in the back of my mind that, okay, well, I'll just get my workout in tomorrow or I'll get um, that cup of coffee two days later or something. Just having and, and having the support from my family to if I've gone a few days without that saying, I just really need to get this workout in. So like this evening, I wanted to get a run in. It's so my husband said, just bring your clothes, t- put them on at work, and then as soon as you park, just go hit your runs so nothing distracts you once you get inside the house. So, yeah. But I think just being flexible and being okay when it doesn't happen, knowing that it will happen another day. Yeah, I like that. That's really helpful. Yeah, because you can't. It can't if, let's be honest here. I can't always get that day, right. you know, that, that, that workout for me to be a, a better mommy. You know what I mean? So just being flexible. Um, yeah, that's a really good one. Yeah. Um, so there's a question that I ask all of my guests, um, which, I mean, as you might imagine from the believe <laughs> title of the podcast has to do with limiting yes. beliefs. So um, I'm wondering if there's something in your own life, it could be like historical, it could be something right now that you're working on, but if there's something that you tend to believe about yourself that's not true, that you um, would kind of work to overcome? And then if you have like tips or tricks, things that you use to work through that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So I think the, 
having to redefine myself from an athletic perspective has been very difficult for me, especially being such a competitor for so long. Um, you know, always finishing in the top and uh, being able to line up at a race and, you know, have people be like, oh, okay, well, Megan's here, so we're going to race her. And little things like that. And then going on a run now and, you know, barely being able to get up to five miles. I'm getting there, but barely being able to get up to five miles, seeing my paces and saying to myself, God, I mean, you're not an athlete anymore. You can't go out and run 10 miles at six-minute pace anymore. Um, and, and, then, and then when I'm in CrossFit, um, I'm not a very strong person uh, from an upper body perspective. Yeah. So, for example, the wad the on Saturday, I was the last person to finish. I have never been last in my life. Ever. Ever, 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 ever. Um, and so that was um, extremely humbling. Mm-hmm. But, but it was good um, because it's uh, allowing me to not – preventing that limiting belief. Like if I can't run, I'm not an athlete, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah. And it's forcing me to cope with the fact that I don't have to be competitive in everything. Because I entered the little CrossFit, not little, it's huge, the CrossFit Open, right? Mm-hmm. And looking at where my rankings are falling, and I'm just sitting here thinking, like, oh, my God. I've never, I've never seen those kind of numbers before. Right. Um, but then I'm like, you know what, though? I had so much fun doing it. I lifted a weight that I never thought I would be able to lift because I decided the Open was a perfect opportunity to challenge myself. Um, but I will say... One of my little tricks is in the back of my mind, while I'm struggling to do a box pull-up, um, times I don't even know how many anymore, but I can feel it in my arm still, um, is that I know that even if I went out for a three-mile run, it would still be faster than uh, 99% of the people in the room with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that if I would train for running, maybe not necessarily to the same mileage or volume that I did before, that I would still be able to be a competitor for my age. Um, so that little bit of confidence that I get from running helps me when I um, think I'm I'm not capable, if you will. Yeah. No. Of, of competing anymore, even though what, all I'm doing is competing with myself. But for for the longest time, is if you can't run, you're not an athlete, you know. And and so finishing last and um, remembering what I have done in the past is is what does it for me. But also really uh, going. I mean, you have to just go out of your comfort zone. And this is another thing I do when I coach too. Is when I'm coaching them, I'm, I say, when you're here in these workouts, this is an opportunity to try a different pace. Most people, when they go out for runs, they just do the same kind of run every single day, every single day, same pace, same pace, because it's comfortable and they know they can do it. So I tell them, when you're here with us and we have these intervals built in, try a different pace. Try going into a comfort zone. Try getting up to that place where you normally think you can't breathe and you're going to die. You know, right. and, and, and get through 30 seconds of it and you realize you're still alive. You're not dead yet. So, you know, 
try to get through another 30 seconds. So that's what I do now. I'm trying to take my running coach brain and switch it to how I get myself through a workout. So for example, I hadn't ever used the woman's barbell. Um, I had used the lighter weight barbell, but this past Friday I said, you know what? I'm in a safe place. I can go ahead and give it a try now. And I was able to do um, a lot of work with, with women's barbell. And so now I don't have that limit for, for lack of a better term yeah. in, in my brain. Um, but I, it will always be a little thing that nicks at me. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think we all have that where it's like, you know, there's, I, I don't know, maybe there's a way to like win at limiting beliefs, but I feel like, you know, they're, they're kind of like weeds. You find one and then yeah. another crops up. Um, but, you know, the as you know, we've been talking about with that theme of journaling, too, if you have a really good tool to use, I feel like you can just keep, you know, that's your I don't know, roundup or whatever that you can keep going at it um, yeah. and work on it. So, um, yeah, no, that's that's helpful. And I love to ask the question, too, because I feel like, um, you know, everyone has somebody that they admire and look up to and would see as a success and all that kind of stuff. And I think it's really helpful to see that we all struggle in different areas and then in ways that we can you know, that you've been working on it, that I've been working on it, um, and that kind of thing. So we can share tools with each other. So it's like, oh, you know, I journal, I run, I do X, Y, Z to process my stuff. Um, so people can try different things. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that is crucial. And, and being open to it. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the critical part right there as well. Not just being super closed minded, but about what you're doing and, what you think other people should be doing. Yeah, totally. My mom always likes to say that um, you can't heal from the poison if you don't know that you've actually taken it. So just having eyes yeah. open that like, oh, no, okay, I really do have stuff that I can process and work on, and then you can then you can work on it. So, yeah. When you always do, it never, it never ends. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Um, Megan, this has been awesome. I'm so excited we were able to, to talk about all of the things. Um, yeah. As we wrap up here, uh, I'm just curious if people are interested in working with you as a coach or if they just want to connect with you online, um, are there best ways that they can do that? Oh, I'm, um, I guess, most publicly available on Instagram. Um, it's just at a more all the things. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes so that people can find you. So Yeah, yeah that's yeah. that's my Instagram one. That's my public way of of being able to be in touch with people. Perfect. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I'll put that in the show notes so people can find you. Um, and thank you so much for the time and all of the, the wisdom nuggets. Um, I'm sure people are, are really going to appreciate this. So I'm excited to have people get to know you better. Oh, no, thank you so much. And sorry that I was a little babbly at first as I was trying to gather my thoughts as I was speaking them. So. No, it's, it's awesome. So it's a delight to have you. Thank you so much, Megan. Oh, you bet. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Believe Podcast. To connect with me further, please visit my website at joyyoga108.com. See you next time.